Hey, how's it going? New Hope, happy Labor Day to all of you. We have trouble keeping our word. That's true for me. It's it, it's true for you. It's just a reality. In our home, the four of us, we have a chore list. Everybody has a set, a group of chores that we've promised and we've committed to do as a family. So some of my chores are uh, doing the dishes. I'm the dishes guy. Uh, vacuuming uh, once a week cleaning the shower and the tub, uh, picking up the dog poop. I don't like that one, but somebody's got to do that. And then making dinner once a week, which that night our girls hate. My wife, Corey's a really good cook, and they're just like, oh, is it dad's night? Uh, so those are some of my chores. And I've given my word. I've said, I, I promise that I'll do do that. It's, it's important in our family. But sometimes life intervenes. Sometimes uh, we might be gone for a week or gone on a certain night that I normally do that chore. Sometimes I'm just tired. Sometimes I just don't want to do the chore. Sometimes the chore doesn't get done. Sometimes I don't, I don't keep my word. It, it's true for me. It's true for you. Reader's Digest poll found that 96% of people admit to not keeping their word and even lying to people that they were really close to, 96%. Uh, on average, we are told uh, a minimum of 10 lies a day, a maximum of 200 lies a day. If you're, if you're being told 200 lies a day, you probably need new friends. In the political realm, as we enter into the political season, that's it's definitely true that our politicians struggle to keep their word. doesn't mean they're always a, a, a bad person or, or they're intending to lie. They just struggle to do what they promise that they'll do. And we, we know that. A survey showed that, that 90 or that, that uh, 96% uh, of us feel that uh, politicians will not keep their promises. Let me repeat that. 96% of us feel like politicians won't keep their promise. So the vast majority of us are going to vote for people we know won't keep their promise. So we just live in this world that, that uh, TV personality Stephen Colbert calls uh, a world of truthiness. He kind of created that word years ago, and now it's actually a word in the dictionary. We don't live in a world of truth anymore where people keep the word. We live in a world of truthiness that people kind of keep the world, and we've just gotten used to it. And it's hard. I think it wears away on our relationships when we can't really trust people to keep their word, anyone. But there is hope. And the hope is that our God is not like us. What God says, God does. Our hope is that God keeps his word, that we can take God at his word. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're in the last week of a series on Proverbs subtitled, How Not to Be a Fool. The book of Proverbs is part of the wisdom literature. That Hebrew word is chokmah. It means skillful living. The sages of scripture, these wise men and women, have come together and written this wisdom literature. And these are tried and true principles they're given. This is how life works. This is how to live skillfully. These are skillful livers. Proverbs is like walking into a room packed with really, really wise people that have lived well, and they're just telling us how to live. They're telling us what works. Wise people follow their advice. Fools 
do not. And so we come to this, this fork in the road all the time, every day. Sometimes it's a really big fork. It's a mammoth decision. Many times it's small little micro decisions that confront us every day. And we're often confronted with this. Will we go the way of wisdom? Will we listen to God? Will we listen to these skillful livers? Will we take God at his word? That's a road that leads to life. Or will we say, no, I'm going to listen to my own advice and I'm going to reject God's advice and I'm going to go this way. That's a road that leads to death. The sages of scripture don't want us to live the good life. They want us to discover the life that is good. Before we read our scripture today, let me uh, promote the series that we'll be starting next week, our fall series. I'm really excited about the series. It's called The Way Forward, Following Jesus in a Chaotic World. I don't think that I have to convince you that it's a chaotic world. In my almost 50 years, this is as chaotic as it's ever felt to me. We're still in the middle of a, of a global pandemic. We don't know when it's going to end. Many people have out of work. Kids aren't going back to school. People are sick. We, uh, we're, we're having long overdue and really significant conversations about racial justice, and they're being hijacked by hatred and violence. We uh, we have hurricanes and we have fires besieging us. We have a very divisive election approaching. And then we have uh, the murder hornets, which are just troubling. Like they're freaking me out, the border. It's just like, where does it stop? It just feels there's just this sense of that things are unstable, that things are chaotic. So how do we live? How do we follow Jesus in that context? That's what this series is devoted for. And we're going to be given practices and ideas and things that will hopefully be a balm to our weary and our frazzled souls. And hopefully it'll help us to come together as a community and follow Jesus. We'll talk about such subjects as unplugging and simplicity and beauty and gentleness and empathy and peacemaking. I hope that's like, you're like, ah, yes, I need some of that. I know I need some of that. So as a community, we'll enter into that. Say, hey, we follow Jesus first and foremost. How do we move through this chaotic season and emerge from it stronger, more wholehearted, more flourishing? That's what we're hoping for. So a special treat in that series. Also, uh, a new friend, Sky Jathani. He's he's a, a very recognized author and blogger and podcaster uh, and pastor. He is going to join me for a conversation. We're going to talk about how to follow Jesus politically. Yes, we're going to talk about that. He's written a book about that. How do we enter in as followers of Jesus into the political world and be faithful? So there you go. Those are some of the things coming in this new season. I'd, I'd ask you to invite people to join you. Maybe you know people around you, whether they're followers of Jesus or not, that are like, yes, I could use some teaching on those topics. It's never been easier to invite someone to church. So that's starting uh, next Sunday. Please join us. We're really looking forward to it. So our scripture reading today is uh, a reading from the end of the book of Proverbs as we end up this series. Proverbs 30, 1 through 6. Sherry Phillips, one of our elders, will be reading it. Sherry, take it away. Most of the time through the book of Proverbs, it's the sages that are writing. It's this collective wisdom. We don't know the names of the sages. In this instance, we're given the name of the sage. His name is Agor. We really know nothing about him, but the fact that he is named 
probably suggests that he's a sage of the sages. He is one of the wisest. When people said Agor and they knew him, they're like, oh, he lives so skillfully. And yet that's not what we see in the text. We see almost the opposite that Agor is saying, I'm weary from pursuing wisdom. I look at my humanity, Agor says, and I just feel so ignorant. I don't know what to do. He says he's a brute is the word in the text, which means an animal that he is, because of this lack of intrinsic wisdom that he is, acknowledges that he possesses as a human, he feels subhuman. Uh, the Enlightenment has perhaps shaped our modern way of thinking maybe more than any movement in a very long time. It, it started back in the 1700s. And, over, and, and the heart of the Enlightenment is really that we can find true wisdom inside of us, that we don't need to look outside of us. We can find it inside of us. And I think we have about 300 years of proof that that's false. <laughs> this is not truthful. Not that we can't find wisdom inside of us, but it has to be supplemented by wisdom outside of us that ultimately, as Agor says, comes from God. That wisdom in verse 3, Agor says, comes from God. Agor gives these three words of understanding and wisdom and knowledge. And if, if you're paying close attention, you will know that that points us back to the very beginning of Proverbs. He's, he's pointing us back to the very introduction that those first three words were used. Let's go there, Proverbs 1, 1, and 2. I think we read these the first week. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. We, we end where we begin. Proverbs is meant to give us wisdom and knowledge and, and understanding, but do we discover those things internally? No. And Agor's is telling it, we got to look outside of ourselves. we got to look to the creator for that sort of thing. And that brings us to our foundational verse that we've talked about throughout this series, which is Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the pathway of wisdom is this phrase, the fear of the Lord, which we've um, translated taking God seriously, or I would say taking God at his word. Yes, God, what you say, the way life's supposed to work, yes, amen, I'm going to follow that. The fool says, no, no, thank you. I reject that. I'm going to go my own way, and I'm going to turn internally to find wisdom and instruction and understanding. Agor says that's foolishness, and he's, he's admitting that. That leads us to this idea that we've, we've used this several times in this series, but we can never untether ourselves from the truth of these words. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but here it is again, fear the Lord. Agor is really giving us and reminding us what it's like. He's giving us an example of what it's like to be a wise person. Remember our definition of a fool? A fool is simply someone who thinks they're wise. A fool's like, I got it covered. I don't need any help. I don't need any advice. I don't need to, to ask for any experts. I've got it. I'll just look internally and figure it out. The sages would say, that's foolishness. You're a fool if you think that. And you can be a very smart fool. The wise person is Agor. The wise person, he's clearly seen as a wise person, but he's saying, I don't know. I don't have it in here. I don't know what to do, but I know where to look. And I'm gonna fear the Lord. I'm gonna take God seriously. I'm going to take God at his word. Why? Why should we take God seriously? Why should we take God as Agor tells us 
almost instantly. If you look in verse four, and again, if you're on our online platform, uh, you can just go down there to the scripture, click on it, bring up Proverbs 30, follow along. So we're in Proverbs 30, verse four, and you'll see that Agor asked four questions. These are what we call rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions are questions that answer themselves. And Agor says this, he's like, Who, who's gone up to the heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? Only a fool would say, me. <laughs> Who has, and he gives us the answer in verse three, the Holy One, the God of heaven and earth, the creator. Uh, so Agor demonstrates in, the, in these questions and framing these questions that he takes God as work as a who God is and what God has done and accomplished. Agor also demonstrates that he knows God's word deeply. If you're, if you're someone like the typical Hebrew person, the, the, the original reader of Proverbs and Agor's prayer here, you would instantly see what our friend at the Bible Project, Tim Mackey, calls hyperlinks. A hyperlink is when you're on a web page and it's usually that blue underline. If you click on it, right, it takes you somewhere else. Hyperlinks are everywhere in Scripture. And this passage, these questions are filled with hyperlinks. So if, if someone who knew the scriptures like the back of their hand, like most of Agor's readers, like Agor, they would see in these questions hyperlinks that take them to other places. So I could literally sit here for hours and read you those hyperlinks, but there wouldn't be anybody left watching the survey. I'm, I'm well aware of that it would just be me. So let me just give you a taste. Let me just whet your appetite to let you see what's, what's going on here. One is from the prophet Amos, uh, and the other is, is from Job that I'll read. Uh, let's see if you can hear Agor's questions coming from this passage from the prophet Amos. He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord God Almighty is his name. He builds his lofty palace in the heavens and sets its foundation on the earth. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. So when Agor is asking those rhetorical questions, the proper response is, the Lord is his name, the Lord, the Holy One. That's who does those things. That's why we can take God at his word. Another hyperlink example flowing from these questions is from Job. Briefly, if you remember Job's story, his, his life's train wrecked by the evil one, and he's wrestling with why, and has, has he done something? He's trying to work out his theology and what he feels about God. He's getting some bad advice from his friends. He stays really faithful, but there's cracks that come. There would be for me. There would be for me. Or like he starts to question and push back on God, and then God answers. Uh, it, it says, this is just one example of God's answer. Um, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you must know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or what were its, what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no further. 
here's where your proud waves halt. I could go on and on. I'm reading from Job 38. It's like the epic verbal smackdown from Yahweh. <laughs> it really is. You're just like, oh, you could just see Job go like, I'm sorry, I ask. So when Agor is asking these questions in this prayer, it takes all of his readers and he's there in his mind to these epic passages that who does these things? Why should we take God at his word? This type of God that we just heard from, the God that what he says he does, we can bank on it. Then Agor asks a fifth question. So the four questions and then a fifth. He says, what is his name and what is the name of his son? Surely you know. And he's already answered that. It's the Holy One. It's the God of Israel. He's the only one that fits us. And then we have this weird little question. Who is his son? And that takes us to the, the whole trajectory of the book of Proverbs that is really parents talking to children. And the idea here is that the, the son here is the one who listens, the one who says, yes, I'll take the path of wisdom. That is the child of God. That is the son of God, the one who does what God says and takes God at his word. That's the son. Then Agor caps it all off with a direct quote from King David. Again, as we're reading this, most of us aren't as steeped in scripture. We don't know God's word like the back of our hand. So we're missing these things, but his original readers would have known this right away because it's from King David. And these words are said in 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18. Uh, David wrote these words while he was on the run for his life. He's celebrating God's protection and provision over him. David says, and Agor quotes, every word of the Lord is flawless for he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Every Why can we take God at his word? Every word of the Lord is flawless. That word in the Hebrew is a super cool word. It's a smelting term. And when you smelted metal, you, you take it in and you're burning away the impurities to try to get pure metal. It's a word that we could translate as fire tested. Every word of God is fire tested. That's why we can take refuge in him. That's why we can take God at his word. In a world where we can't take anyone at their word, we can take God at his word. So foolish people despise God's word. They're wise in their own eyes. They go their own way. Wise people fear the Lord. Wise people take God seriously. Wise people take God at his word. This is exhibited demonstrably in the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And as Luke's writing about young Mary, and she was very young, she is put forth as the, the hallmark disciple. Luke's basically saying, look at Mary and be like her. Follow Jesus and, and, and fear God like Mary. So most of us probably know the story from Christmas, and Gabriel shows up and he tells this young girl, can you imagine you know, that you're going to be pregnant and you're going to carry God himself, the long-awaited Messiah. So that has to be a staggering announcement. And what is her immediate response? Her immediate response, Luke 2, 37, is, for no word from God will ever fail. Mary knew God's word was fire-tested. Mary knew she could take God at his word, that what God says, even after all this time of waiting for Messiah, what God says, God does. What does this mean for us? I would frame it this way, uh, going back to the subtitle of our series here as we close it, how do we not become fools? Like, I, I hope, I pray for myself, for this community that, that you don't want to be a fool, that none of us want to be fools. 
that we want to walk the way of wisdom, that we want to walk skillfully, we want to discover not the good life, but the life that's good, the life we were designed to live. So how do we not become fools? Here are just kind of three practices as, as we close, that if we deeply entrench these practices in our life, I think it's almost impossible that we'll become a fool. So, so number one, we must regularly engage with God's word. And I know right now what most of you are doing, you're thinking, you're, you're like, okay, this sounds pastor talk, <clears throat> church talk, read the Bible, blah, 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 blah. Please, please pay attention. How do we take God at his word? How do we bank on it? How do we live it out if we don't know it? It's a very simple question. Studies show that one, only one third of people who go to church regularly, regularly read the Bible. The effect is that we have a lot of followers of Jesus in this country and around the wor world that are fools. That's just the honest truth. As we follow Jesus, we maybe check the right boxes, but we have no idea what God's word says. So how do we, how do we get, so we've got to know, we got to regularly engage with it. Jesus himself knew this. Our, our mission at New Hope is follow Jesus. Let's do what Jesus did. Jesus, the very beginning of his ministry, 40 days without food. He had to be exhausted. He was, he was fully human, fully God. So he was tired. He was so hungry. And then the evil ones tempting him. Do you remember how Jesus responded? Jesus responded for these words. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus quoting Moses because Jesus knew God's word like the back of his hands. And we're, we're physical beings. We need food, but more importantly, we're spiritual beings. And we're, we're created to live and exist and be sustained on God's word. It reminds me of, of a story of a 17-year-old British teen that I read about that she was having all kinds of health issues, anemia, a swollen tongue, and they rushed her to the ER and they discovered the source of her problems were for 15 out of the 17 years of her life, all that she had eaten were McDonald's chicken nuggets and fries. <laughs> no, no joke. Literally, the doctors told her that, that her diet was killing her. I like to say we are what we eat. And Jesus knew that. That's a spiritual principle. If we're not regularly engaging on God's word, then we're going to be spiritually malnourished. That's just the truth. Psalm 1 was not originally called Psalm 1. Psalm 1 was the prologue, the introduction to all of the wisdom literature. So they were introducing young children to the Hebrew wisdom literature. They would start them with Psalm 1 as the introduction. What are the opening verses of Psalm 1? Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law or the word of the Lord and, on this, and, and he who meditates on this law of day and night. Hebrew scholars that really know that world say, say a better uh, translation of the Hebrew word for meditate is the word murmurs. Well, think about that. That's really interesting. And they would say this because it, it was an oral culture. So hardly anybody at that point was reading scripture and people didn't have that availability. People would hear it from the scribes and the priests. They would memorize it. They would hide it in their heart and they would say it out loud. So that's the picture, the, the person who's deeply rooted in streams in life, bearing fruit in all season is a person walking around, probably looks like a crazy person, murmuring God's word to themselves, murmuring, it's always on their tongue, they're always talking about it. Moses, 
uh, when, when he stepped aside and Joshua stepped in and Joshua shaking in his boots to lead the people into the promised land, into the land of giants, the angel shows up and gives this message to Joshua. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate or murmur it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. This is his like one suggestion for all of the people of Israel as they went to battle with the giants. Just murmur God's word. Just cross the Jordan, just being a murmuring people of God's word, reminding yourselves of who God is, reminding yourselves of his faithfulness and his steadfast love, his, his love that never lets us go, that we can take God at his word, murmuring it. Henry Cloud is one of the wisest people I'm aware of. Henry is a clinical psychologist. He's a best-selling author. You may know him from his Boundary books. He's a leadership coach. Henry's written 45 books, no joke on this stat, that have sold 20 million copies. He has consulted huge companies, 117 companies. He's been a CEO coach. He is steeped in wisdom. Every time I've heard him talk, I'm just taking notes like crazy. He's just exuding skillful living. I was listening to an interview with Henry last week, and the interview was talking to like, how are you surviving during quarantine? What are your practices for flourishing, for staying wholehearted? The one thing that Henry said, his number one recommendation, he even said this, because I got one recommendation, make sure you're staying engaged with God's word. Just make sure every day, just engage with God's word. And he said, here's my practice. And he went on to tell his practice. He said, every day I read a couple Psalms, Every day I read three chapters of the Old Testament. Every day I read a proverb that corresponds to that day of the month, because there's 31 proverbs. And every day I read a, a chapter of the New Testament. And then I journal on all of it, and it takes me about 90 minutes. <laughs> I was listening to it and be like, oh, my goodness. But that's why he's wise. That's why he's not a fool. He is steeped in God's word. I'm not as busy as Henry Cloud. You're not as busy as Henry Cloud. And he finds 90 minutes every day to engage in God's word. That's how important it is to living a life of wisdom, to not becoming a fool. Few of us have the discipline or the time, I consider myself some of that group, to do 90 minutes of God's word. I, I dream of that day. I long for that day. I'm not there. But just start. Just do something. Even maybe you've never done that regularly. Just do a minute. Just do five minutes. Do 10 minutes. Push yourselves, find a rhythm and a practice to regularly engage in God's word. Because if you're not, it's like not eating food or just eating chicken nuggets. It's going to lead to a broken down heart and a broken down life. There's, so, there's never been more options out there. So many free apps out there. Uh, our online platform, the people that host it, go to their app. You can just go down the scripture and find your way there to tons of reading plans on their app. Uh, our Bible Project friends have created this incredible app called Read Scripture that have the, their videos embedded in it, which is really cool. And then we've regularly challenged all of you to do what's called Lectio 365, which is just my favorite app every day, like 10 minutes. You can listen to it. You can read it. There's prayers. There's scripture. It's incredible. Uh, our 12-year-old daughter, Eden, praise God. I'm just so, I so rejoice in this that she is falling in love with God's word. It's not us, <laughs> or it's probably your mom, but it's God's grace that, that, that she has just cultivated this, this love for God's word. She does Lectio every single day, and she's also started with our middle school ministry. She's involved with Nathan and their crew, and they're, they're doing a, a deep dive study of the Gospel of John. So she often goes on dog walks with me, and we're murmuring God's word together, father and daughter, as we walk along. It's incredible. 
And I'm just so blessed and, and so moved that I can walk and talk with my daughter about God's word. What am I most uh, at peace with knowing that? I'm at peace knowing she's not going to become a fool. That's what I'm at peace with. So first, if we don't want to become a fool, we must regularly engage with God's word. Secondly, we must trust God's word above every other word. We've talked a lot in this series about all the voices, all the experts, all the people we listen to. Are they wise? Are they fools? We talked about if you want to become a fool, travel with fools, listen to fools. If you want to be a wise person, do life with wise people and listen to wise people. So coming out of this series, continuing to challenge you who you listen to, who you reading, who are you watching? Who are you podcasting? Who are you following on Twitter? Who are you following on social media? Who are you listening to to shape your life in the direction that you will go? A lot of the voices may have wisdom steeped in it, things you can glean. That's great. None of them should come above God's word. God, we should trust God's word above every other word. If you're at a place where you're trusting CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or your favorite podcast or your favorite person on Twitter above God's word, you're on the pathway to becoming a fool. Let's remember the words of the psalmist, uh, especially in election season. The psalmist says this, Psalm 146, do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. And on that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord uh, their God. How do we become fools? We regularly engage with God's word. We trust God's word above every other word. And finally, and this is what I'll leave you with for the series, we do God's word. We do what it says. Hannah last week uh, mentioned Jesus's quote when John the Baptist is like, who are you? Are you really the Messiah? And, and Jesus said, do you remember? Wisdom is proved by her deeds. In Luke's variation, that same scene, he has Jesus saying, wisdom is proved right by her children. Jesus is agreeing with Agor that those of us who take God at his word, who fear God, who take God seriously and do what God says are children of God. That's evidence that we're children of God and we're actually following. Back to Mary and Gabriel. She said, for no word of God ever fails. And then what does she say? This is incredible, this young girl. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word be fulfilled. She's like, may, come make it happen in me. Here I am. I'll do it. I, I, I believe you. James, the brother of Jesus says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Do what it says. So as we kind of close up this series, and I hope it's given you a love of Proverbs and wisdom literature, and you'll begin to entrench your life in these words, uh, remember this instruction from picture of father, son, mother, daughter, child who so wants their child not to live the good life, but the life that's good. Listen, listen to these words. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Uh, just like our bodies, just like if we if we know what it's what's needed, if we're an expert in physical fitness, and we even train people and know what to do to tell people to get into shape. If we're a dietitian and we know what to eat so our, our body will work well, and yet we don't do it, who cares? And that's like what it's like to know God's word and not do it. We must do God's word. Hokmah is not skillful knowing, but it's skillful 
living. I love this picture coming up on the screen. It's a picture of, of, a, of a coastal area that a tornado has torn through. God, God, God help them. But what do you see in the middle? You see this one house that's basically untouched. It's like a disorienting picture. I saw another interview, a similar story with the builder around him is like destruction. And then he stayed at his home, like drinking coffee, just chill. They were kind of like, what's, what's the deal? He's like, ah, oh, I built it for the storm. Just kind of like, ah, oh, built for the storm. Are our lives built for the storm? Jesus was thinking about that at the end of his most famous teaching, as he brought it to a close, Jesus says these words. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is what? It's like a foolish person who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it fell with a great crash. What will it be? No. What will it be? We're living today. Today, you will have decisions, and all those decisions add up to make our life. That's life. As followers of Jesus, when we come to that fork in the road, will we take God at his word? Will we fear the Lord? Will we take him seriously? and do what he says, or will we go our own way as a fool does and say, I got it, I got the knowledge, I don't need that. Well, that's a road that leads to death. The, the sages don't want the good life for us. They want the life that is good. May that be true for you. May that be true for me. Let me pray. God, thank you uh, so much for the sages and the book of Proverbs and the wisdom literature. Just walking through it a little bit this these last couple months has... Uh, uh, revitalize my own heart and my own longing to read it more and be steeped in it more. I, I can't, again, remember a time that we, we ever needed wisdom more. And so help us as a community of those who follow your son, Jesus, to follow in his path, to, to take, uh, God, take you at your word, to, to fear you, to take you seriously, and to actually do what you say. Uh, change us, God. If we, if we don't have a hunger and thirst for that, create that in our hearts, God, and give us the courage and the discipline and the audacity to follow hard after you and do what you say. Uh, for your glory, God, we love you and praise you. In Christ's name, amen.